Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Saber Talk podcast. We're holding to this kind of weekly schedule. Hopefully, we can keep doing it every Sunday. This is Mark Geis, Josh Eppinger, and we're going to talk about the four games that happened this week. So a lot has happened. the The Sabers won three out of the four games, and they now stand at nineteen, eighteen, and nine with forty seven points. They've dug themselves out of the cellar. Still pretty low in the conference, still in 14th place, but things are a lot tighter now than they than they were. They're now four points out of the wild card spot, the final wild card spot, which Toronto is currently holding. Uh, so things are looking pretty interesting. There's five points separating that final wild card spot from last place in the conference. Uh, yeah. So we'll run through the games real quick, and then we'll let Josh start it out with whatever he'd like to talk about, and we will go from there. So... On Monday afternoon, uh, Martin Luther King Day matinee, the Sabres beat Dallas 4-1. to uh, Eichel had two goals in this one. Uh, McCabe also scored. Tyler Ennis scored 19 seconds into his return. Uh, and this was, you know, a, a pretty convincing performance, I think, overall. I, I was pretty encouraged by this and very encouraged going into the more important game the next day, which was against... The Leafs and the Sabres ended up losing this in regulation four to three. This was at the ACC in Toronto. Uh, Toronto scored four four goals after the Sabres came out in the first period and went up two nothing. So a very encouraging first period, as has been the story. A uh, a very difficult second period to watch. Uh, Oposo, Evander Kane, Will Carrier all scored in this one. Gianta also had two assists. Big story coming out of this one that a lot of people were talking about was Robin Leonard was pulled and then replaced by Nielsen, who played pretty well until giving up a softy, wasn't hugging uh, hugging the post, and gave up a really weak goal to to James Van Riemsdyk, James Van Riemsdyk coming out of the corner. Uh, then they had a couple days off, played Friday night, another divisional game against Detroit, ended up winning this 3-2 to two in overtime, and this was after losing Jake McCabe 56 seconds into the game with a shoulder injury. Man, this is a huge loss. He'd been playing 22 to 23 minutes a night. He went down. They played with 5D the rest of the game. Justin Falk ended up having to step up into the top four, which nobody should be encouraged by that, uh, but they ended up pulling it out somehow and winning winning three to two despite I think the, the ice was tilted toward Detroit for a lot of this game but they were able to pull out the win and that's what you've got to do when you're trying to make up points then came back the next day without McCabe like I said and I really wasn't encouraged coming into this one I was not optimistic whatsoever but they ended up winning three to two and a bullet from Zach Bogosian in overtime and the story in this one was Robin Leonard coming back from being pulled in the Toronto game and he had a fantastic performance, an incredible save in overtime, had quite a few really good saves. He he did have one uh, one goal to, to Dano where he gave up just a really juicy rebound right into the slot, but he made a lot of crucial saves in this one. And Gianta, Franson, and Bogosian were the goal scorers in this one. Ryan O'Reilly had two assists. Evander Kane also had two assists. So they came out of this with three three wins in four games, six out of the eight points. We had talked about hoping to get five out of these next ten points, and, we, and Josh and I would be pretty happy. So we were talking a little bit before this, and there will probably be more positive than negative in this episode, I'm expecting. So, Josh, I'll let you start it out, and let's go wherever you want to take us. Well, before I get to my main point, I want to just uh, re- reiterate that uh, – Maybe that Canadians game was uh, with Cody France and Zach Bogosian, the first game that the Sabres have scored two goals with defensemen. Uh, defensive scoring has been on a low for the Sabres this year, so I wouldn't be surprised that it's the first game that two defensemen scored. Maybe the two scored in the Dallas game. I did not catch that game. I was uh, working. But my main point I want to hit to today, Mark, is... Um, I'm going to go out there and hit the hammer and the nail of the head. And uh, Leafs game. Leafs are uh, have 51 points right now, and the Sabres are sitting at 46, I do believe. 47. 47. Yep. 47. So say if the Sabres come out and beat the Leafs uh, in regulation after going up 2-0, we are talking very, very 
uh, differently. Uh, a lot of positive come from this show today, but I will say this is one negative. Uh, losing to the Maple Leafs is a huge deal. Uh, coming out strong and getting a, a postal coming and getting that goal will carry pressuring um, Frederick Anderson into getting the puck off and goes right on to um, Opozo's stick and he buries it. Uh, that We start off that way, we're, we're doing good. It reminded me almost of the Boston game from the week a couple weeks before. Um, starting off really hot, um, Evander Kane gets a one-timer from Gianta, puts it in the net, and we're up 2-0, and this is a huge game. Uh, like I said... If every if that happens, grant you know a butterfly effect may uh, happen different. Something might happen differently. The Sabers won that game, but if all the other games had the same output, um, we would be tied of Toronto right now. Um, it's been uh, it's been uh, Toronto's been a great team. They're sitting in that last wild card spot right now, and Buffalo could have uh, could have really. Answered the door there. Uh, at that, after that Toronto game, the Sabers were four and eleven. If you don't count over, overtime losses, I'm just going strictly win lo- win loses win losses. Um, they haven't been sh- able to show up in the division at all this year. Really, um, pretty nice to go and beat the top of our division uh, in the Canadians last night in overtime. So after three really three good wins. Uh, that Toronto loss is still hanging over my head. Yeah, well, we both talked about that one last week as being the most important game of the week. And, I mean, any Sabres fan you would have asked would have said the same thing. So it wasn't like we were bringing any sort of unique insight there. But that's one of the teams you have in your sights right now that you need to catch. Yes, you need to pass Detroit. So that game was very important. It 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 wasn't great that they, were, that they gave Detroit a point in that game basically, but even being, being able to gain one point on them was great. But losing that game did did hurt quite a bit, and those games are far more valuable than the games where you're playing the Montreals of the world, where you're never in a million years going to catch them, or Dallas, which is a non-conference game. You know, those games aren't as important. Yes, every point is valuable right now, but you have to make up so much ground and pass so many teams that all these games in the conference against all those teams have double importance. It's not just about the points that you can get, but it's depriving those other teams of points. So that's, I completely agree, what hurt most about that game. I hate losing to Toronto, yeah. period. You know, even if Toronto was first in the entire conference and the Sabres were where they are and it didn't really matter that much whether Toronto racked up more points or not, I still would hate it, but it hurts even more because not only is it the rivalry, but that's the team, one of the teams that you're really looking to catch. Absolutely, Mark. Um, and then we go back. We go back. You uh, spoke about it earlier. Um, we go into the second period of that Toronto game, and um, I'm feeling pretty good. And then all of a sudden, uh, 32 seconds in, Komarov uh, scores in a kind of fluke goal. Classic I, Komarov we, goal, right? Yeah, we were me, Mark and I were texting, and he he texted me right away. Classic Komarov goal. <laughs> um, and then. Um, we were so we were, we held a one point lead for about a minute. I mean seven minutes. And Matt Martin uh, takes a takes a shot unassisted, unassisted, and it just uh, trickles through Robin Leonard's uh, underneath his arm and through his through his legs, nice and slow. Um, yeah, from like the hash marks. Yeah, yeah, it was a very uh, unprotected goal. And the goal that I really want to hit is Austin Matthews' goal. Um. Um. Uh, Felino, we have, we have two defensemen stuck below the below the goal line. I'm pretty sure it was uh, Franson and uh, Bogosian, if I'm correct. I think that uh, sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sorry. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was the pairing on the ice. Sure. Yeah, and um, and um, and Marcus Felino has to come in and uh, get on. Uh, Austin Matthews, but it was all—it all happened way too late. And my problem is that that's your most dynamic player on the other team uh, on Toronto's uh, roster, and you're going to leave him wide open in front of the net. You bet your behinds that 
when Jack Eichel's on the ice, every single player on Toronto knows where he's at. Mike Babcock's drilling that in their head. And we just let a future NHL superstar, if not already an NHL superstar, wide open in front of the net. We can't have that. That that was the most disappointing goal of the night for me. Um, yeah, I mean, you have Hyman coming out along the goal line. What's he really going to do in that spot? And you already have that covered. It's not like he was open. And I don't even care, even if it wasn't Austin Matthews standing there, that's still a horrible defensive play. Of course, if it's not Matthews, maybe it doesn't come back to bite you. You know, Maybe another player doesn't just bury that shot like he did. But it's defense 101. I don't know what Felino's even thinking stepping toward that puck because you're leaving a guy in a more dangerous spot for somebody that's already relatively covered but also is in a spot where he's probably not going to be able to score from there. And that was just really frustrating, especially with how – responsible Felino's been most of this year. I mean, I have, I can probably count on my two hands the numbers of times that I've thought, oh, yeah, that huge chance that was given up was completely Felino's fault. He hasn't given the puck away a ton. He's been pretty just defensively responsible in general. But that was a, a, you know, a very negative move at a difficult time in the game to do that because that, that put all momentum toward Toronto. They'd already scored two goals in a row, but they were both pretty fluky. You know, you still felt like yeah. the Sabres have been the better team so far. You know, they're still in great position at 2-2. Two to two. Those go- kind of goals happen in the NHL. But then you give up a goal like that with Toronto's star being able to bury a shot. Now you think this is going to be a difficult one for the Sabres to win. Yeah, and um, right after that, it's that was uh, 9 minutes and 45 seconds in. So Toronto scored three times on us before t- the 10-minute mark in the second period. Um Robin Leonard gets pulled. He um, stares down Coach Bilesma as he walks down and uh, has a little. He's he's heated. He's an emotional guy. Um, you can definitely tell that in all his gameplay. Um, so Leonard comes out. He's not happy. Nilsson goes in. Um, the game kind of slows down after that. Um, I think. Good job by uh, Dan Bilesma to pull him at that situation. I think that any other NHL coach would be pulling their goalie at that spot. I'm pretty sure you said that as well, Mark. Yep. Um, and um, we we slow the game down and we uh, get we get going to the third period of a one goal loss, uh, a one goal, a one goal negative, and uh, we go back out there and uh, the Sabers continue the struggle. Um, they have some chances, but um, um, and James Van Rienzik, as you uh, mentioned earlier, get, uh, got a, a good goal in against Nielsen, who was completely out of position. Uh, yeah, even inches the, open against the post. I don't know. He yeah. didn't know where he was, I think. Yeah, and, you know, you can't be perfect all the time. Uh, it's a, it's a, a, a tough game to play, but um, – and we, not having any momentum and then going on the penalty kill uh, kind of could uh, throw his mind off too. But uh, that was a huge game for the Sabres. Uh, what, what did you think about uh, the, the um, Leonard getting pulled? Uh, I mean, there's a lot of conversation with – I think most fans would rather see Nielsen in net for the Sabres. Um but then we go back to Montreal last night, and Leonard really uh, kept us in that kept us in that game and in the Detroit game as well. Yeah, yeah. I think with Leonard, he hasn't been disappointing. He hasn't really performed under expectations or anything. It's just that Nielsen has performed so beyond expectations. But I completely agree with what you said that virtually any NHL coach would have pulled their goaltender in that situation, especially your backup. If you're starting to think like Nielsen's the 1A and Leonard's the 1B, if you're playing your backup in a game, if you give up three goals in a 10-minute span after coming out with a 2 nothing lead in the second period, even if all three were goals that, were, that weren't really the goalie's fault, you're going to do it just to try to swing momentum the other way. Hopefully fire up your team a little bit. You're just trying to, you know, trying to do something to get them going. Uh, so I think... That was the right move. I can't complain about that. And I I also can't really complain about Leonard's reaction. It'd be one thing if he was a completely quiet, straight-laced guy all the time and then just happened to flip out out of nowhere. Then maybe I, I would think this would be more of a story. But I think that's just who he is. And Biles understands that that's who he is. His teammates understand that that's who he is. 
So I'm not too concerned about that. And I think Leonard's still going to get his fair share of games, but I, I do think that this is more Nielsen's job than Leonard's job now. Who knows if maybe that Montreal performance may have changed Bilesman's mind a little bit on that. Yeah, that that save in overtime, wow. I save of the year for the Sabres. I mean I mean bring on some more, but uh that was awesome. Uh and just following a huge uh Carey Price stop on Ristolainen in, in the third period too. Yeah, Price um, had a had Price played quite well in that game too, I thought. Both defenses were pretty sloppy. You know the Sabers. It's the Sabers. It's pretty understandable because look at the def, look at the defense that they fielded. You know you have Casey Nelson replacing Jake McCabe, which is a huge downgrade. You have uh, Ristolainen having to play about thirty minutes again, just under thirty minutes. Um, and you know Zach Bogosian's your number two. Cody Franson now is your number three, and you've got to lean heavily on Justin Falk and Taylor Fadoon as well. It's it's expected for the defense not to play that well. But, yeah, I didn't think Montreal played too well defensively either. Yeah. Um, it's uh, – but to go back on the – go back to the the price stop on uh, Risto is uh, – man, that really shows – I uh, sent a tweet out and I said, man, that really shows uh, how great of a goalie Kate Carey Price is uh, – you know he gives he gives Ristolainen that glove side after being out of position, and kind of just lets it lets it lets him uh, gives it to him so he takes the shot and then takes it away immediately. That's why that's what really separates the the best goaltenders from the mediocre goaltenders in the NHL. Yeah, and he's a he's a stud. There's a reason why that team is radically different with him in that and him without it, and why they were so horrible last year without him and now he's come back i know they made other changes as well um, that have made a big difference bringing in radulov was it was a huge move and suban for weber um, that's changed the complexion of the team but the big difference is getting carry price back and yeah he i think i think he's the best goaltender in the league i think probably probably most hockey Absolutely. fans would agree and there is a lot of value there. I, I, I've I preached a lot on this podcast about not investing a lot in goaltenders, not going out, paying a lot of money for them. But there are a few guys in the league that it does make sense to do that with. And Carey Price is one of the few that I think it does make sense to, to invest a lot of money and a lot of years in. Yeah, I mean, you can make an argument that he's the only one. <laughs> Honestly, uh, yeah, th- there's... Th- there's there's other great goalie tenders in this league, and any goaltender that makes it to the NHL, kudos to you because you're playing in the highest level of hockey in the world. But yeah, there's only one Carey Price, really. Uh, you can't really compare it to him. You you might wanna you might have said uh, Ben Bishop a few years back, Jonathan Quick a few years back, um, but not anymore. No, absolutely not. Um, yeah, I mean, Tuka Rask, some people would probably make arguments for as well. Yeah. But I don't know. I, investing a lot of money long-term in a goalie just really makes me uneasy. But the one guy I feel like I wouldn't be uneasy about doing it with would be would be Carey Price. Yeah, he single-handedly he, – he puts that team on his back all year long. It's uh, pretty incredible. Uh, we don't want to turn this into the Carey Price podcast, though, either. Yeah, so. talking positive about Toronto, then talking positive about Montreal. <laughs> yeah. That's not what people um, want to hear. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> um, so, um, going back to uh, Friday night's game against the uh, Detroit Red Wings, um, a game that uh, only one goal in the first period, Franz Nelson on the power play. Um Takes uh, the all star, uh, yeah, yeah, yep. He is their all star. Um, you know what was awesome about watching that game? Watching uh, Hedrick Zetterberg and Ristolainen battle and throw hits at each other. It's Ristolainen with Swedes. He hates the Swedes. It's always yeah. who he gets into it most with. And I feel like the Swedes <laughs> hate him too. Yeah, imagine that. <laughs> But uh, that was that was a that was a lot of fun to watch. Two great players going at it. Um, you know, H- Hendrik Zetterberg could be more towards the end of his career, where 
Uh, Risto's more towards the beginning, uh, but just a lot of fun to watch us to play. Um, and then we get a Sam Reinhardt goal on the power play in the second period, five minutes in. My dog, I have to apologize for anyone that's getting sounds from my dog. He is giving me a heck of a time right now <laughs> during this podcast. Um, Ralph, sit down. Um, so Sam Reinhardt gets the power play goal. Um, Eichel. Eichel and Rissalainen with the assist. Uh, the goal uh, was contemplated being challenged by uh, Detroit's coach uh, with a puck that goes off a Sam Reinhardt's skate that has a kicking motion. Some people said it touched Reinhardt's uh, stick. I didn't see it touch his stick, but I definitely thought the Detroit defenseman got uh part of the puck on his stick on that goal did you uh have a thought on that Mark? yeah yeah i think it was pretty clear and it, and it doesn't matter with what the rule book says if it if it, if it hits the defenseman's stick and goes in it it nullifies it having been kicked so uh, i i didn't really get it looked like blast show was really animated on the bench like he couldn't believe it when they've got these hd screens he obviously could see that puck moving you know it went off reinhardt's skate he definitely did kick it if it had gone in straight, I would completely agree with him. I think it would have been overturned. But you can clearly see the puck change direction after that point. So it hit one of the two sticks. And whether it was Reinhardt's or the defense, I forget, I forget who the defenseman was that was there. Yeah, but, I couldn't remember. Um, yeah, I think that was a that was a clear goal. And Reinhardt doing yeah. surprisingly one of his you know one of his best skills is being able to score those dirty goals in front. Yeah, for not being a big guy, he uh, definitely is good in front of the net. Um, and that kind of just so, since we are uh, bringing up Reinhardt here, I was watching this game and uh, I'm pretty. I, I'm going to go out and say that Sam Reinhardt leads this league, this team of points for for the rest of the year. I uh, think he's been playing exceptionally well after a few podcasts back saying that he needs to step his game up, and uh, Sam Reinhardt's been a bright spot on this team. I can definitely see him. I'm going to say he's going to lead this team of points this year. Yeah, I don't think that's that's outlandish whatsoever, especially looking at matchups, too. You know, the O'Reilly line is getting more difficult matchups against other teams, so they've got to be a little bit more in defensive mode than the Eichel line typically has to be. And, yeah, they all play in the power play together, so they all kind of have equal opportunity to get, to get points on the power play. But... Uh, <clears throat> I think that's a that very well could happen. He's been about point Sorry per game. Sorry for the echo. Uh, dog knocked the headphones out. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, he's been about point per game over the last 15, 16 games. I believe is the is the stat that I saw. And yeah, we usually could see that happening the the rest of the way. That line's getting a little bit easier matchups, and I think Eichel he he didn't play incredibly this week. I think uh, there's a lot you probably could criticize him on, but when you have Eichel playing at his best, I think Reinhardt will only be more productive than he has been. Absolutely. Um, I was, uh, I've been thinking a lot about uh, Jack's play of late in these last four games. Uh, little, yes, he had a goal, uh, two goals in the, the uh, Dallas game, one empty netter, but uh, I didn't really see much of that game. Like I said, I only seen highlights. Um, my criticism of Eichel as of late is making uh, bad bad uh, decisions with the puck, trying to toe-drag his way past two defenders at once, um, kind of trying to make, trying to force plays to happen too, uh, backhanding the puck up in the middle of the ice where he's not really looking. That happened a few times. Um, inc- incredible dynamic offensive player. Uh, but uh, I definitely think... Uh, he needs to have some more improvements in his game as of late. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think he's at his best when he keeps it fairly simple because just his his skills, you know, his physical skills, when you look at them, are off the charts. And so if he's if he's focusing on, okay, using my speed to create space for myself, he's also a very good passer, but not trying to make a ton of fancy behind-the-back passes or no-look passes. You don't necessarily have to do that using your passing ability, and using your shot. And he does have Reinhardt with him, who is great at finding him. 
So when he keeps it simple like that and isn't trying to be too cute and focusing primarily on getting a shot on goal, I mean, I think that's the most important thing. He's very good. And I know there's a lot of pressure on you when you're kind of the, the go-to guy offensively that you need to make something happen every single time that you're on the ice. And even when you're coming down one-on-two on defensemen, you should try to dangle both of them and get to the net. I, I, I think he's at his best when he doesn't try to do that, when he's yeah, more he patient, can. picks his spots, and – I could definitely see it this week. I think he understands how important this week was. I think he felt the pressure to, to, to try to put more on his back, I guess. And I think when yeah. he does that, paradoxically, he ends up producing less than he otherwise does. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree with your assessment there, Mark. Um, and then just uh, one more note on the Detroit game. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly's uh, backhand goal. That was a classic Ryan O'Reilly getting in front of the net, skating around the net, getting in front and finding that hole in the net where the goaltender isn't at. Uh, great shot by Ryan O'Reilly to tie that game up with about four minutes left in the game. Definitely. Yeah, that was that's fantastic to see. I, I love backhand goals, and he's he's one of the best in the league at it for sure. Oh, yeah. Great at picking a spot yeah, with it, which is so hard to do. I mean, anybody that's that's played hockey knows that. That's probably the most difficult shot to to get down with any sort of accuracy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, sorry, it's, that just popped in my head, but I can't now. I'm thinking, uh, Jack and uh, Reinhardt has missed uh, a couple really close, amazing passes in the last couple games to Jack. Uh, how talented is this kid with uh, moving the puck? Wow, it's uh, it's super. He's super close. Um, the pucks are almost right there, but this is gonna lead into the point of the Sabers are playing good when, especially as of late, because they are b- passing the puck tape to tape, crisp through the n- neutral zone, and uh, when when they're not doing that, they're not winning games. Uh, I, um, when you when you're transitioning out of the offensive zone into the new into the into the neutral zone and then into your into uh, the other team's d- defensive zone, th- these passes need to be tape to tape. The transition needs to be quick and quick to uh, get out and have uh, odd odd man rushes. And one of the Sabres' biggest problems this year, in my opinion, has been their passing. It's it's been in a passing to the skate or passing uh, just a little far ahead or a little behind. We need uh, clear tape-to-tape passes. Definitely. That's been a systemic issue for for years now. I mean, something if we'd been doing this podcast over the last four years, probably would have been a consistent gripe of ours, just passing and how important that is. And it looks like other teams are so much more effective at passing than the Sabres are. And a big part of that, I think, has been the the defensive core hasn't been that good. I think passing, it typically starts with the defenseman because if, if your defensemen are able to pass accurately, you know, get it with the forwards moving up rather than them having to catch it standing still or them having to adjust to a rolling puck or anything like that, then it enables them to be able to pass the puck that much easier to the other forwards. Uh, I think they have done a, a better job of that recently, like you were saying, um, and I think – Cody Franson is a pretty good example of that. He's been a favorite whipping boy among Sabres fans, really because he's slow, and he is slow. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to try to say any falsehoods here, but I've been pretty impressed with his puck moving, actually, and him being able to, to hit guys tape to tape. Um, I think Bogosian's got a little more settled in, has been better at it. I think McCabe has been on another level in terms of passing this year, so having him and Ristolainen on the ice together, you know, when McCabe was healthy – they were they were able to pass very well. And then Fadoon's been a nice addition too. He's got his weaknesses Absolutely. being so small and he can be physically overwhelmed a lot, but he is a pretty decent passer as well. Yeah. Um you said it right there. Those are those are the guys in this team that's gonna help move the puck. Um the puck newsflash anyone that doesn't know this about uh hockey is the puck moves faster than the players. So um Sounds like a Coach Bailey word of wisdom there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
good old Coach Bailey, you know, maybe he could help uh, get the Sabres pumped up in the locker room <laughs> before uh, before a game. But uh, we uh, Fadoon is one of the guys that I do think is really good and skilled at moving the puck uh, crisply and cleanly. I've thought that since they brought him up, and I didn't really know much about him before then. And I like seeing him in the lineup because of that. Um, Bogosian, going back to Bogosian too, is uh, – he he's he's looking pretty good this week. Uh, he's played well. Uh, he's he's he keep he's keeping his feet moving when he's uh, when he has the puck too. Uh, I know a lot of earlier when he came back from injury, he would be his flat-footed, looking for the pass and then losing it a lot uh, from an offensive player taking it from him. I can remember that a few times that happening. So um, he's keeping his feet moving. And he's making great outlet passes. He's starting to look like the Zach Bogosian that we want him to be. So yeah, keeping his feet moving upside. too has helped him in the defensive zone because that's another. It's the same exact issue that he would do, like standing and watching the puck and standing there and not mm-hmm. thinking about I need to take somebody, and just watching the puck and it allows somebody to move into some open space and be able to get a good chance off. So I think he's been doing that a lot in the defensive zone as well like when the puck isn't on a stick when when the opposing team has the puck so that's that's hugely important for him he's always had trouble putting it all together and then injuries haven't helped either but I think this is a better week for him I don't think it was perfect I'm trying to think of specific breakdowns in the defensive and I can I can remember a couple times thinking that I wouldn't have done what he did in a particular situation but normally in in one week I'll have five to ten of those situations and maybe there were a couple of those instances this week so him him yeah. playing big is going to be huge for this team it's going to be incredibly important and uh i think he is kind of a guy that thrives with a little more ice time too so maybe we will be surprised if mccabe is out for another handful of games there really hasn't been any sort of timetable on when to when to expect him back but um i thought he thrived both being able to play with Ristolainen in that Detroit game and then uh, being able to play nearly 30 minutes in that game, I thought he actually thrived under uh, under that much workload. Yeah. Um, consistency's been his downfall for sure. Um, that Detroit game, I really didn't think we would have any chance at all after Jake McCabe went out. He is such an important player to the Buffalo Sabres and this team uh, – He's been one of the brightest spots on this team. Uh, I love the contract that he signed with the team, too. It's really going to help us out down the road. Um, so it really hurts seeing Jake McCabe get hurt like that. He's uh, he's put a lot on his shoulders this year, and he's put on his big boy pants, and he fills them out pretty well, I think, too. Yeah, probably. I mean, if you were to ask people who, the, who they've been most impressed with this year, I bet Jake McCabe would be number one on a lot of people's list. It would probably be number one on on my list as well, because uh, you did see a lot of growth from him last year. But it's an it's a an even bigger leap what he did last year, going from being like a fringe AHL NHL defenseman to eventually being, you could say like a decent number four, number five. Where sometimes he looks like he's a he's a good top four defenseman, and sometimes he struggles kind of on and off. And now he's become like a number two, number three where you almost can entrust him in a lot of games to be playing on your top pairing. And even when he's not playing at quite that level, he's definitely at the very least a solid second pairing defenseman already. And that's an even more impressive leap, I think, than what he did last year. Yeah. Hats off to uh, Tim Murray on that one, uh, getting him locked up and realizing this is the guy we're going to go with. Uh, I don't think a lot of people would have expected the Sabres or anyone to think that way. So, uh Great job by Murray on that signing. Yeah, definitely a fantastic contract. And a lot of things we can complain about in terms of contracts and, you know, how this team's been built. But that's one where you have to say that was a great move. Uh, A a one-year prove-it deal wouldn't have been the right move in that situation. If you're able to buy extra years, really there was no risk in that contract. Because even if McCabe never got any better, he would have been worth that money. But yeah. you had all this upside where if he did continue to get better, like he has this year, now you're getting a very valuable player at virtually nothing in terms of you know money against the cap. Yeah. Um, so now 
what I'm not sure much about the McCabe injury. I uh, missed the first period of the Detroit game uh, on my way home from work, and WGR wasn't kind enough to bring their radio frequency as far as peak and peak to me. So um, he uh, got tripped. He got tripped by uh, Nyquist into the boards. Uh, what? What? Uh, what did you see from this play, Mark? Uh, was there? Uh, was there? Um, Look, uh, potential of a a long long term injury. I know he came back on the ice, played a long shift, came out for a very very short shift, and then never showed back up. Yeah, yeah. So he went he went right off the ice when it happened, and yeah, what Nyquist did was his stick hit McCabe's right leg. They were both going in. Um, it wasn't in the corner. It was up kind of near the hash marks. Um, and then McCabe lost his footing, went into the boards, and then his arm took a brunt of the impact, his right arm. And it looked like it was his elbow that he hit very hard. Um, so I was worried about, you know, a broken arm or, you know, a fractured elbow or something like that. But I'm assuming that impact must have popped his shoulder out of place or, or something to that effect. But they haven't released any details on this, Bilesma. All that he said was that they need to evaluate it and that they would need to call somebody up but he didn't say anything about day-to-day or week-to-week or indefinitely or anything like that. So I guess we'll have to... Not much surprise there. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, they they typically hold their cards pretty close to the chest, and the, they won't tell you anything till they have to. But As they should. Yeah, but. yeah. Well, you don't want to say anything till you know more details. And I have to assume probably in these next couple of days, maybe we'll learn more. You know, maybe having, having two off days in a row... Maybe we'll learn a little bit more before the Nashville game on Tuesday. But uh, I couldn't really tell. I, th- I thought maybe he broke his arm initially. He went right off the ice. He was clearly in pain. And that's what I said. I thought, oh, he, he may have broken his arm there because of that much impact. But I'm almost encouraged it's the, it's the shoulder instead. Um, cool. Um, I, wh- so what, what does that mean for this team? Uh, does – you know, losing a player of his, of his stature for this team this season is a huge loss. Like I, I've said, you would you could argue that he's uh, you know fifth, uh, seventh, sixth most player mo- most important player on this roster. Uh, he's put up some serious minutes. He's played some hard minutes. He's been tough. He's been protecting the blue line. Um, hope maybe we can get Dmitry Kulikov back. Uh, there hasn't been no signs indicating that, but. Um, I don't think uh, Casey Nelson and uh, the rest of the uh, Falk and uh, Fadoon are going to be able to hold up that much of this uh, defensive pairings. I mean, that's that's three players right now that we're talking about in this defense getting weakening. Uh, what, what could be some future moves? There's not really much else out there in the organization. I mean, and I... I would be completely against them trading a draft pick or something to bring somebody else in. You know, unless this team goes on a streak, say they win their next four in a row and all of a sudden they're in a pl- in playoff position, then maybe you could think about it. But where they are now in the standings, I would be completely against trading any sort of futures to boost the team right now. But there's not really anything else in the minors. I mean, they called up they called up Casey Nelson, but they've they've already depleted really their minor league depth. Brendan Gooley is a possibility. He's played three games. If he plays over nine, then uh, the first year of his contract kicks in, which I would also be completely against doing. So you could maybe bridge the gap for a little while with Gooley if you wanted to, get five or six games out of him. Uh, But I don't think there's any sort of good alternative. I think you can't keep playing Ristolainen 30 minutes a night. He's going to break down. That happened to him last year, and he wasn't playing 30 minutes a night. You can't do that to him all year or for an extended period of time and have him standing up at the end of the year. Um, so you'd have to give more responsibility to some of these guys, but I I can certainly see them crumbling. We talked about Fadoon bringing some good things to the table, but I don't think he's a guy that you can give you know extra responsibility to over a long period of time without expecting there to be some negative results from that. Um, Franson, I think... Like I said before, he stepped up, looked pretty decent, playing a playing an increased role. But those bottom three guys, I can't really expect any of them to be to be putting anything major on their backs. So there's not really a good answer, unfortunately. And that was a yeah. long way to say 
we're kind yeah. of screwed if if there's a long term injury to McCabe, but that's kind of where I think we are. How about how about you? Okay. Well, okay. Well, I'm gonna play devil's advocate here, and let's just say that the Sabres win four out of the next five games. All right, so we're on a pretty good uh, streak of winning, and uh, we got a, a little over a little under half a season left. Maybe we should bring up Brendan Gooley. Maybe we should take that first year of his contract and let it kick in. If this team is in a position to win, why wouldn't we go out and win and try to compete? Um, now, I'm also, I mean, there's a lot to say. I'm also saying if we win the next four or five games, uh, we'd be in a really good spot then, too. But Gooley, uh, Gooley's definitely made, uh, when he came up, I know it was only for three games, he looked like he's ready to play in the NHL. Um, I don't want, I, I'm a big fan of protecting contracts, but if, uh, if winning's the ultimate goal, maybe we should bring him up. Well, the, the only big issue there, and that's almost, it's almost not even possible unless all of these guys continue to be injured long-term, but because they have to use an emergency recall to bring up Gooley, it would mean then that multiple, you know, multiple of these top six defensemen would have to be out for the rest of the season. And they could be in a position where, like I remember Gooley was the emergency recall when Georges went down earlier in the year. And when Georges came back, they had to send Gooley back. They didn't have an, they, they didn't have a choice in the matter. I think they probably would have preferred to keep him up and let him play, you know, maybe play his nine games. Because like you said, he looked like he fit in and that he was NHL ready. I mean, I assume like any other young player, he would have gone through his ups and downs. Uh, but I think that wouldn't, that almost wouldn't be an option unless you get news that McCabe and Kulikov were both out for the rest of the year or something like that. Yeah. But, you you, you know, you might be in a position where Gooley comes up, he plays nine more games. Let's say he's played 12 games. He burns a year off his contract. Then McCabe comes back, and you've got to send Gooley back. And so you've burned a year of his contract, and yeah. you don't have him for the rest of the year. It's just a, it's a well, difficult that's... situation to be in. Well, yeah, but, I mean – we should know within the next four or five games if if McCabe's what the extent of McCabe's injury is going to be. Yeah, if he's not if he if he can't come back, you know if he can't come back and Dmitry Kulikov, who even knows what's going on with that guy, we we got to do something. And if if we're in the position to win, I want to see this team go out and make it make it right for this team to win. Yeah, and if it's feasible. More. If it's feasible and that does happen where we get news that McCabe and Kulikov are both out for the rest of the year, then I can certainly see the arguments in favor of doing it. And if, like you said, they had won four of their next five games or something like that, now we're right in the thick of that playoff race. I can certainly see the argument to be made there. But yeah, I would be shocked. You know, It's going to be a big test. Assuming McCabe is out long-term over these next five games or so, can they really keep this patchwork together and be able to keep winning games? It's worked so far, generally getting pretty good goaltending, but is it sustainable? Yeah, obviously. Um, so to flip, to flip the switch a little bit, Mark, um, last podcast we uh, we spoke a little bit about Tyler Ennis at the end. Um, I, uh, I will admit that I said, that I didn't expect much to come of Tyler Ennis coming to play. Yes, he is playing with uh, Reinhardt and Oposo, two great puck control guys, so it gives Ennis a lot of room to go out there and uh, do what he does. But um, he comes out. I didn't expect much from him, like I said. He comes out and scores in the first 19 seconds of that Dallas game. Uh, what have you think, thought about his play? I know he didn't play in the in the Toronto game, Uh but uh, I wanted to get hear what your uh, thoughts of him this week were. I think it's been up and down. Um, you know, I haven't been thoroughly impressed. He's not <clears> – <throat> I don't think he's 100% yet, and you can't really expect him to be 100% after missing as much time as he did. That goal was a great shot, and that's something that he brings to the table that few wingers on this team do. Uh, but I still think it still seems like they're they're managing his minutes a little bit, trying not to put too much responsibility on him. And I expect that at least moving forward until we really see the the Tyler Ennis of old. But his skill is something that the Sabres lack so 
so badly uh, in this in this forward core that even having that back, even having the potential for him to be able to shoot a puck like that or be able to make a move and get to the net was a nice addition to have back. So even Tyler Ennis at 75% is an upgrade over most of the other wingers on this team. Yeah, I, w- I would agree. Um, it's uh, it's it's interesting uh, to see him out there and playing. Uh, like like I said, you know, I don't expect too much from it. Um, him going out there and scoring that goal 19 seconds in just had me uh, laughing when I read that on Twitter. Yeah, he obviously listens break. to the Saber Talk podcast, like you said, and he's like, "I'm going to yeah. show Mark and Josh. Yeah. I'm going to give them something guys- to talk about." Those guys, those guys wish they were hoosers or something. <laughs> like if there was actually a pretty good, uh, there was actually a pretty good uh, program about his injury in between the second and third period last night. I think it was uh, of the hockey game. Uh, him and his family talking about his concussion and his injuries uh, as of late, and kind of finding himself in a dark place, but wanting to prove other people wrong. Uh, that was pretty uh, interesting to watch and pretty cool of the Ennis family just uh, throw their story out there. Well, he's definitely a guy, and I'm sure you completely agree with this, but even if he never is the same again, he's somebody you've always got to respect because of – think about the offense he produced when this team was really you know, at its depths, completely at the bottom, and there were, there were so few bright spots on the team. And he produced pretty well offensively, brought us all every night, and yes, he was a flawed player, and yes, he was he had too much responsibility on his plate, but he did pretty well considering. So I think he's somebody you'll always respect, regardless of. Oh yeah. You know, even if he ends up not being a fit on this team moving forward, and and he gets bought out or or traded or or, or whatever, uh, he's somebody you'll definitely always root for. I think. Yeah, de- definitely. Uh, you you you're absolutely right, Mark. Uh, is you know for him to play the way he did through the tank years. Um, we don't want him to do that though. We don't want him to play that same style of play. Uh, we want him to be dynamic. We want him to make good moves with the puck, but we don't want him to put everything on his shoulders. You're playing with Kyle Oposo and Ryan O'Reilly instead of whoever the heck he was playing with in the tank years. So, uh, I I, I want to see a little less. Uh, there was a he he did a he tried to go through two defenders the other night. I can't remember if it was uh. I think it was against Detroit, and uh, he had he could have dropped the puck back and came in three on two instead of one on two. So I don't want him seeing the I don't want to see him play that game anymore. Is what I'm getting at. Yeah, he's got to understand the puck is going is inherently due to who he's playing with now and the construction of this team. The puck's going to be on a stick less, and it may be something that's very difficult for him to adjust to because he got used to doing it that way for years where the puck was going to be on a stick a majority of the time where he wasn't really playing with other highly skilled players but now you know he's the worst player on that line he's got to figure out I've got to adjust to what O'Reilly and Oposo have done all year and I've got to figure out what I can bring that's unique to that line and I don't think that what he brings is unique is him dipsy doodling around with the puck on his stick it's him yes maybe making a move when he has the opportunity to but much more, much more likely he's going to have to keep it simple and try to figure out a way to get the puck on those other two guys' sticks. Yeah, definitely. Um, um, I, I absolutely agree with that. Uh, if, he, if, he can't, if he can't do that with O'Reilly and Postal, there's really no reason for him to play on that line. Uh, definitely. I, have, uh, I know we, we discussed this briefly before we started, but what are your thoughts on the forward line so far? I know I had commented that I actually liked them quite a bit, the way that everything's yeah. constructed right now, and I'm not sure how you could construct them better. Do you kind of agree with that, or do you have any sort of a- tweaks absolutely. you would make? Absolutely. I love how these four lines are set up. Uh, I'm really liking the Gergesons gianta kane line. Uh, they, really bring, they really bring the fire. It's a, it looks like a pretty quick line with Vander Kane out there. And uh, they 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 have a little bit of everything, a little grit, a little skill, um, a little. They're developing a little chemistry, it seems like too. So um, I don't know if that's the Brian Gianta effect, but it's uh, definitely a good line. I think that's a 
a, a, a third line that could be a third line in any team in this league, actually. Definitely, yeah. And that's – I had been hammering on this since before you and I started doing this together, and that's what I always said about Kane. I think it makes sense to have him on a line where the puck can be on his stick the most – where you know he can take shots maybe from bad areas, and he's going to be carrying it into the zone a lot of times. I think he's best when he's that guy, not when he's got to be Jack Eichel's right hand, you know, right hand man or Ryan O'Reilly's right hand man. So I think that's perfect for him, and it's brought out the best in Gergensen's as well. I think those two have found some chemistry, and like you said, they they all complement each other pretty well. Gianta's a pretty good glue guy. We maybe criticize him a little bit too much on this show but he does have what 11 goals this year 10 goals this year um he's yeah he, he hit double digits last night yeah yeah and he's he's done what he needs to do he plays quite a bit plays in every situation i don't like him on the penalty kill anymore that's one criticism i have of bilesma but that line's been been really nice and i think it made sense to slide in ennis on that o'reilly oposa line what better place to come back from injury than to playing next to those two guys who are so consistent and responsible. Should be. Yeah. Um, and then I think Felino. obviously I'd like somebody better to be that third guy next to Eichel and Reinhardt, but on this roster, Felino probably makes the most sense. You could maybe, maybe make an argument for Carrier, and he's played quite well recently. Uh, but this is about as good as the line construction has been all year, I think. Yeah, I think um, I'm also – I'm going to throw it out there, and I, I think uh, we talked about him before he got brought up, I'm pretty sure, but I think that uh, with with um, Larson being out, that Cal O'Reilly should be on this fourth line for the rest of the season. Um, thoughts on that, Mark? Yeah, I've, I've liked that line, too. I didn't know how much I was going to like it. It seemed kind of like just the throwaways from the top three lines, but... I've liked Cal. He's only been playing, what, you know, seven to nine minutes a game, something kind of in, in that range. But he does a little bit of everything, and that, that line can produce a little bit offensively. They got the opposing they got the opposing team hemmed into their zone a couple times in the Montreal game. I just watched it hours before this, so that's fresh in my memory. But I thought they played pretty well in that game. Uh, Carrier, he fits in no matter where he plays. He's going to be a really nice glue guy, I think, moving forward. So he obviously fits. Yeah. And then Molson, he's flawed, of course, but I think he has at least tried to buy into playing more of a bottom six type of game and figuring out how to cycle and where to go and trying to finish his checks. Not that that's his game, but I think he fits in relatively well there. He looks like he's working hard, Molson. Uh, he he's definitely trying to fit in with that line, and I think, you know, Nick Delore at this point should just be a, a scratch every a healthy scratch every game. Um, Will Carrier is brought a lot. We've talked about him weeks before. He brings a lot to this team, uh, even if he's getting you know eight nine minutes a ga- game. Those are eight nine minutes that we need him for. So there's definitely a fourth line role in the NHL, and uh, and you know if Carey's a career fourth liner, I'm not saying that, but he definitely is uh, the the bright spot in this team. And with Cal O'Reilly centering him, uh, it may it makes a it brings more experience to the table, and it makes more sense than uh, Derek Grant or them trying to center Nick Delorier. Yeah, I think I think Cal O'Reilly just has more experience playing a bottom six NHL role than Derek Grant. Not that either of those two are perfectly constructed to do it. I think O'Reilly at his best would be, you know, a first liner in the AHL. That's where he is probably a hundred. You know, that's his best role in professional hockey. But when you look at the other options in this organization, I think O'Reilly's a definite upgrade over Grant because O'Reilly has played quite a bit in fourth-line roles in the NHL and has learned how to do it. Maybe his skill set doesn't align perfectly with, with what coaches want, but he knows what he needs to do, and I think he's brought that to the table. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, waving and losing weight, uh, Derek Grant and waivers is making a lot more sense now with Cal O'Reilly. Uh, I'm still shocked uh, he got picked up. but <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, I take him. Because I think um, he hasn't played enough. I think his issue is he hasn't he hadn't played enough, kind of in a fourth line type of role at the NHL level, 
and so he was still in offensive mode. And so we saw him produce a lot offensively in preseason. Yeah. But then and you, when we got into the regular season now, he's got to play a, an up-and-down, fourth-line type of role. He, he just wasn't a great fit for it. And Derek Grant, uh, he might have more of the body type for that fourth-line center uh, and Cal, than Cal O'Reilly does. But Cal O'Reilly has the experience, like you said, to be that guy and uh, to come out and play. And I think uh, that fourth line has looked in the last couple games has looked better than it has all year. Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, Cal, too, he's been pretty good face-off-wise since coming up. That's been nice. That's very important from your fourth line because really, I mean, at the end of the day, you're not expecting your fourth line to score any goals. If your fourth line can get you from wherever the face-off is when they get on the ice, wherever they get on the ice, if they can just move you forward – it's almost like a like field position in hockey. You know, if they can move you forward and they can spend a decent amount of time in the in the opposition's zone, then they've done their job. And I think they've done that pretty well. Just kind of anecdotally thinking about how much time how much time they've been on the cycle in opposition zones. So I've I've liked that fourth line. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um uh any other topics you uh have have the mind mark? Um, we should talk about just the upcoming games here. So they'll only have two games this week before we talk next. If we're able to do it next Sunday again, uh, the Predators and the Stars on Tuesday and Thursday. Um, we can talk about that. I, I don't. Do, do you have any other topics kind of about this past week that you'd like to cover? Um, uh, I think we hit most of them. Um. So we only have two games this week against the Predators and Stars, two Western Conference teams. Um, one we gave it to pretty bad on Monday. Uh, the frustration on Jamie Benz uh, really showed that game. I he went through about $600 worth of hockey sticks, uh, busting them over his knees and on the bench and um, well, they're they're yeah. quickly falling out of that race. I mean, they have the same same number of points as the Sabers, and and they've played two more games. Wow! And their and their goal differential is worse than the Sabers. So, I mean, think about the the frustration that Dallas and its fans must be feeling right now, because a lot of people were talking about them as a possible Stanley Cup contender coming into this year. Yeah, and playing at and we're playing at Dallas on Thursday to uh, a stadium you've been in. You've been to last year, I know. Yep. Um, yeah, I spent some time um, in Dallas for work last year. Unfortunately, the Sabres didn't come down. I was there this time last year, so if this game had happened last year, I would have been there. But I wore my Eichel jersey to a Stars-Red Wings game when I was down there. and <laughs> I didn't really get any love or hate. Nobody really cares about the Sabres, I guess. Yeah, I got, you know, it's a little different from the, me wearing my uh, my Derek Jeter jersey to Pittsburgh Dodgers game. uh I thought I was about 15 at the time, so this is, uh, you know, almost 10 years ago. Well, everybody and definitely I, uh, has an opinion on the Yankees. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, and these guys wanted to, these drunk college kids at the time wanted to kill me. Uh, I wasn't really even saying anything. I was kind of scared, you know, being, you know, Were they Pirates fans? Old. Uh, Pirates fans, yes. All uh, these teams have such Napoleon complexes, though, about the Yankees. Like, they're not even – it's National League versus American League. Why do you care if somebody's wearing a, a Yankees jersey? You could get if you wear, wear it to, like, Fenway yeah. Park or something. Then you're asking for it. But to wear it to PNC Park? Yeah. I just wore my – I just wore my uh, – I only wore my um, my Jeter jersey T-shirt at Fenway. So that was cool. Okay. <laughs> my go-to – my only baseball jersey is a Pete Rose jersey. So any baseball game I go to, I wear a Pete Rose jersey. Unless it's a Yankees I game, I have a I have a Nick Swisher jersey tee. And... <laughs> I had a Pete Rose rookie in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so – I didn't mean to interrupt so you, though. You were talking about uh, Dallas, just that I yeah. had in that arena. Yep, Dallas. So we got uh, we're playing in Dallas. Uh, we really brought it to Dallas. So don't be surprised to see that game get rough and physical right off the beginning. Uh, being down in Dallas, um, then we get back to one of our important part of our schedule. Not that every game isn't important where the Sabres sit right now, and we'll uh, the, the the following uh, week will be Tuesday in Montreal, and then uh, we'll be playing in New York. Uh, 
against the Rangers on the second, and then Saturday we'll be playing uh, the Senators at home. So those are going to be some really important games uh, coming out at the end of the month. Um, big part of the schedule. These are games that we need to win. We have Rangers, Senators, Canadians, Rangers, Senators, Devils. Those are all really important games. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, those conference games are very important. It looks like Ottawa's going to be in that wild card mix too, so that would be a great team to be able to gain some points. I know they're ahead of Toronto right now, uh, but everybody is still so close together in that range. I talked about from 8th to 16th in the conference, there's only a 5-point difference, but there's only an 8-point difference from 6th to 16th. So, I mean, <clears throat> the Sabres are only 7 points behind Ottawa, who is in 2nd place in the division. So there's a lot of movement that can happen there, and and all these games are important now, but the conference ones especially so. Yeah. Um, so, Mark, if you could uh, describe in one or two words Robin Leonard's save last, last night uh, in overtime, what would you use? Generate aneurysm. <laughs> Oh my gosh! That's what I, I know that was that, my comment before. So one of us is going to yeah. impact on you, but <clears throat> that's what I thought first. Like, oh my god, Generet! Like, I don't know if I've ever been that excited about anything. He's going <laughs> to pop a gasket. Yeah, to to- totally, totally. Um, it was that was uh, RJ fans out there, which there's plenty and plenty in Western New York. Um, that was one of the probably the best game to hear. Uh, Generate call was last night against Montreal. Uh, very, very cool. Yeah, very, very, fun. very vintage, definitely. And you love hearing it. It's he's he's iconic. He'll always be iconic. It'll be something that we'll be telling our kids' generation about someday. Like, yeah, you know, our entire childhood and into our young adult lives, we were able to hear Generate call the games. So yeah, you got to yeah. enjoy that. Enjoy that while you can before he finally decides to retire. But just soak it up while you can. Oh yeah, it was awesome. You could, uh, you could. Uh, I remember buying um my stepfather, uh, um, uh, Rick Jenneret uh, roll call CD from Subway <laughs> when I was like for Christmas when I was like nine, and uh, listening to it in the car radio with uh in the in the car with him too uh always a, always a blast yeah i had that uh, i had that else. too i got it as a christmas gift but then all my yeah. cds got stolen so i no longer have that one i do have the roll the highlight film one though the the dvd oh version yeah, of all yeah, his best yeah. calls that one's yeah pretty awesome too i also have one of the labat blue bottle openers that says an rj call oh. every time you do it yeah. yeah. Oh, brother, we are not worthy. <laughs> That's Ooh, one of the I ones. Too. My, I almost tipped out of my chair there. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, Mark. Uh, it, it, do you have anything to add? Uh, I'm uh, I'm pretty uh, sealed up right here. Yeah, yeah. I think we I think we hit just about everything we could we could want to hit. Uh, it was interesting. One thing I, I probably want to say before we get off is that a bunch of people finally crossed over to the Fire Bilesma train after that Toronto game, which I was pretty surprised about. I've been on the Fire Bilesma train for a while. I still am. You know, a little winning streak isn't going to take me off of it. But I thought it was really weird that that game seemed to push a lot of people over the edge. They didn't play that poorly, I thought. You know, they didn't play well, but they've they've had a lot worse stinkers. It was really goaltending that did them in in that game, I thought. So I just thought that was that was weird that a lot of people were pushed over the edge by that game. Well losing to Toronto losing to Toronto will uh, get everyone all hyped up anyway. So having a two goal lead, they say it's the worst lead to have in hockey, but I'm not too sh- sure of that. I'd take any lead at any time, especially with this Buffalo Sabres. But uh, yeah, I mean that that is that's odd to me too, Mark. Uh, I mean, especially after making the decision to get Leonard out and put Nielsen in, and it kind of got us somewhat back in the game, but not really. But it's a uh, it'll be interesting what they do with Coach Dan Bilesma. Uh, he's a uh, Definitely, there's definitely could be some question marks at the end of the season if it keeps on going at pace. Yeah, 
Yeah, and I think it was one of those. It was one of the few games all year where goaltending actually did lose them that game. Not that they outplayed Toronto or anything, but there there are only a, a few games this year where you can point to goaltending being the major reason why they lost the game, and and this was one of them. So it's it's interesting to me that you would that you would all of a sudden come on to firing the coach due to goaltending costing you a game uh, when there are a lot of reasons why you should have been on that bandwagon already. But uh, it's like a, you said, I guess it's, it's emotional a, losing to a rival yeah. like that. So yeah. you can't expect people to always be too. rational. It's the one Buffalo culture. Um, we just, the Bills fire racks. And they, everyone's on train of just firing people, you know. Screw it. Let's just let's just release Jack Eichel out of his contract too. While we're here, you know he hasn't been playing that great. <laughs> um, That'd be a great move. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> we are completely sar- we are completely sarcastic. Just for sarcastic on the Sabres Talk podcast right now. Just for the record. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's uh it's been a it's been a good week for Sabres hockey. Well, hopefully we'll be coming back at you guys in a week. Um, a week from now, there's only two games on the schedule, but uh, we're going to find time and plenty to talk about. Oh, yeah. Well, we so should be able to talk a little more in detail about each game individually. I know this we kind of touched on, kind of went back and forth and uh, hit particular points of different games, but uh, looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, thanks everyone out there. If you made it this far, um, I'm Josh Eppinger. And this is Mark Geis, and thank you so much for listening to the Sabre Talk podcast. Go Sabres.